Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host for Episode 64, Will the Money Supply Decline Save Our Inflationary Bacon? Today on the podcast, I'm going to discuss the near-unprecedented decline in the money supply that we've seen over the last eight months or so. And the question is, if a rise in M2 is inflationary, isn't a decline? A decline in M2, disinflationary or deflationary? And I'll get into that. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Sense and Sensibility, like so many of them, is sponsored by Simplify ETFs. Simplify is a manager of alternative ETFs solving today's most pressing portfolio challenges. This includes income solutions like SVOL, yield curve plays like TUA, and 6040 diversifiers such as CTA. If you are an individual investor or an RIA, you will likely find that something they've done addresses a particular problem you have that you didn't know was solvable. Check out their website, simplify.us. That's simplify.us. You can find their entire lineup of ETFs at simplify.us slash ETFs. And thanks, as always, to Simplify. I'm adding something new today. Uh, when I wrote commentary years ago for institutional customer consumption back at Deutsche and Barclays, Natixis. Don't think I ever did it when I was at Bankers Trust. Uh, but I used to put a trivia question at the end of each commentary. Uh, I don't want to make this podcast too game showy, all right? But I also don't want it to be boring. So I'm going to try this out. I'm going to ask a question and answer at the end of the pod. So, of course, these days, these are all Googleable. Back when I was doing this, you couldn't just Google all the answers. And I used to, whoever got the most right in a month, I'd like treat them to lunch or something like that. But I can't do that anymore because you can get all these answers on Google very easily. But it's more fun anyway if you just try to guess and, and figure it out. And you don't have to wait till tomorrow or next week or anything. I'll tell you at the end of the episode. Just listen all the way through. Here's the first question which was also one of the first I asked way back when I was at Deutsche Bank. So this is like in, you know, 2000 or something. On that television show, Beverly Hillbillies, if you ever watched Beverly Hillbillies, and that puts you of a certain age, by the way, the, the president of the bank where the Clampets put their money was named Mr. Drysdale. And, uh, and Raymond Bailey played Mr. Drysdale. And the question is, what was the first name of Mr. Drysdale. First name of Mr. Drysdale from the Beverly Hillbillies. Okay. One more item uh, before getting into the pod. Uh, this is a long intro today. I'm sorry about that. But this is important. This is in erratum. Um, I try not to make errors, but when I do make errors, I do want to fess up to them. Uh, in the last episode, I was talking about Mr. Pill from the Bank of England and how it's unseemly that policymakers are trying to persuade everybody to take one for the team and hold the line on prices and hold the line on wage requests. And so, you know, everyone needs to, to pay their fair share. Uh, and, and, and I mentioned some other examples of that. And one of the examples I mentioned was Japan, but that's not right. Actually, Japan is actually doing the opposite. And I knew that, but for some reason it kind of got, it was weird uh, in my head. Um, actually a February article in the Nikkei news described a campaign by Japan's Consumer Affairs Agency that that it was designed to explain to consumers why higher inflation is important 
And so consumers should really like higher prices. And the argument is that if, if consumers want higher wages, then they should want higher prices because that will allow employers to raise wages, which is dumb. That's not how it works at all, but whatever. Um, at the same time, Japan's Ministry of Economy, Trade, and Industry, METI, um, is, is also reportedly trying to shame businesses. Like they actually have a list, a shame list of businesses. Um, they're trying to shame these businesses into not pressuring suppliers into providing the lowest cost they can. Okay, so don't go to your supplier and try to argue for lower costs. That's not, that's, that's not, that's not nice, you know. Uh, allow your suppliers to pass through their cost increases. And then you should pass those cost increases on to your customers. And we're busy trying to persuade them why that's a good thing. It's just wild. It's wild to think that that a government is actually trying to persuade, it's particularly one government is trying to persuade everybody to to want higher prices, and in, in England they're trying to persuade everybody to hold the line on higher prices. Um, really bizarre. It's, it's probably it's arguably wilder and crazier to to tell people to don't worry about you know to to like inflation. It's probably even weirder than trying to tell the proles not to ask for wages, but higher wages. But anyway, what a world. Um, anyway, now let's talk about M2, which, which is ostensibly the purpose of this podcast. Um, if there is any reason for optimism about the inflation backdrop, and look, I, I'll tell you, you know, I've, I've been on the inflation story in both directions during my career. And, um, and sometimes inflation goes up and sometimes inflation goes down. And, and, and in fact, I used to say when I, for, when I founded my company, Enduring Investments, way back in 2009, one of the things I said was, that, you know, we think inflation goes up, we think it goes down. If if we if we thought it only went one way, or or if we, you know, then it wouldn't be a very good company. If we could only help people when inflation was going up, it would be a trade. It wouldn't be a company. Inflation oscillates. It goes both directions, and there are things to do in both directions. So, so on this podcast and and in my blog and 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 when I talk to people, if I think inflation is going to turn around and head south, and I've told you I think it's peaking, but I, if I think it's really going to go south south, if I thought we were going to go into deflation, I'd tell you, um, because defending your money takes all kinds of forms, and and you need to know which direction it's going and how far it's going to go, and it and it's not like it's only in one direction that that price changes can hurt you. Anything that you're not prepared for can hurt you. But anyway, if there's any op- any reason for optimism now about the inflation backdrop, I've been very vocal in saying I don't think it's going to fall down as far as everyone thinks. But if there's a reason for optimism, it's the, it's the recent behavior of the broad money supply, M- M2. Um, M2 has, which is not, uh, some people refer to something different. When they say broad money, that's something actually different. I'm talking about about uh, M2 being broader than just, uh, you know, cash, you know, physical cash, okay? Uh, M2 is what I track, and it's declined about 4% from its peak eight months ago. Now, before we get carried away about how great, you know, that's a 6% annualized rate of decrease, let's remember that the peak was some 40% higher than than the money supply, the level of money supply was in February of 2020. So it went up 40, it's down four. Okay. But it's not nothing. Uh, in fact, it's the biggest decline from the peak in in decades and, and maybe ever. We only have, it's the only eight-month decline from the peak uh, since at least 1959. That's as far back as as the Fed calculates it. Um and so before then, there, there probably were some declines. There was a lot of volatility in, in money supply 
you know, in the Great Depression and, you know, prior to the establishment of the Fed, but we didn't calculate money the same way. So certainly in terms of what's on record, the eight-month decline from the peak in my supply is unprecedented. Now, it it that's unusual, and it's also it's worth remembering here that the Fed is is really conducting an experiment. And I've talked about this before. In the past, significant monetary tightening was mostly done ver- via the supply side. Uh, so the the meaning that the Fed restricted the quantity of bank reserves, and that restrained what banks could do. And so that limited the quantity of loans that banks could make and increased the price of the loan, that is to say, interest rates. Um, and and so and and so that's the reason interest rates went up was not because the Fed moved interest rates, but because they restricted reserves and that caused interest rates to go up because they restricted the supply um, of of loans and the supply of reserves. Um, this time, the the Fed has provided far more reserves than banks will ever need. And so the the change in in the amount of loans outstanding, the the change in the pace of money creation is all demand side. And so that's what was really experimental is that you know we had to say, okay, if the Fed tightens 500 basis points, what happens to money growth? And the answer is, well, we don't know because we don't know what the shape of the demand curve is exactly. How much will people, how much less will people want loans? And actually, I and I'll, I didn't think there would be a massive change. If you need money, you need money. And the difference between, you know, and, and honestly, it's money illusion, right? If you, you should prefer taking out a 5% loan with inflation at 5% to taking out a loan at 3% when inflation is at 1%. So that's kind of money illusion. You know, so the, the, that second loan, taking it out at 3% when inflation is only 1%, is means the real cost of money is 2%. Whereas a 5% loan with 5% inflation is a 0% cost of money. So you should prefer that higher rate loan, but that's not the way people think. It's money illusion. But we don't know, we really don't know exactly how much that would change things. And, and in the event, one of the places it has really changed things is in mortgage origination. Um, the, the housing collapse has not happened. Um, as I said, it wouldn't, um, it, it's how home prices have declined, you know, a reasonable amount in real terms, but not very much in nominal terms. And, and there's still activity. Um, but that means that, that the actual amount of, of new mortgage creation has, has really slowed dramatically as well as loan refis. And when people refi, they also increase the size of the loan and that increases, um, the amount of loans outstanding and therefore the money supply. So, so we don't, and, and the Fed is also, it should be said, decreasing its balance sheet ever so slightly, which might help at the margin, might help someday, but really isn't very closely related to the decrease in, in M2. There's still far more reserves out there than banks need to make the loans they want to make. And so the Fed decreasing its balance sheet doesn't really matter all that much. This is mostly a demand side thing. And again, it's an experiment. We didn't know how much 500 basis points of tightening would do to the demand side. I thought it wouldn't be very much. And the Fed evidently thought it would be enough. Uh, so far, they look like they're closer. Anyway, the 4% decline in the money supply after a 40% jump 
Mays ballpark, you know, 36%-ish total M2 growth over the last three years or so. Well, 36% M2 growth over three years would mean that if velocity was stable, you'd have 10 or 12% inflation per year. Um, as I said, though, and as we know, money velocity declined. Um, I wrote, I've, I've spoken recently about money velocity a fair amount and about how um, and back in January, I think I, um, episode 50, I wrote about what the velocity comeback means for inflation and investors. And so I sort of talked about that, that whole episode, if you want to look back to episode 50. But while M2 has been declining, money velocity has, as, as I said it was going to, it's been accelerating higher. The three-quarter increase in M2 velocity is plus 8% which is just a tiny bit less than the post-1959 high that was set in 1981. So you can see M2 is declining at rates we have never seen, and money velocity is going up at rates we've never seen. Still, if we can get M2 to decline at a 6% pace, which is what it's doing now, annualized, um, and velocity to increase at an 11% pace or so, annualized, then the net is about 5%, M plus V, change in M plus change in V. And so that net 5% in an environment of 2.5% growth, that's Q if you're an MV equals PQ, if you're in that, that scenario here, right, um, means that if you plug into the equation, you get about 2.5% inflation. So that would be one heck of a trick. Let me tell you, if you if the Fed if the Fed can do do pull pull this off and stick the landing with two and a half percent inflation, that would be pretty impressive. And so again, M plus V equals P plus plus Q, roughly. Um, it's really multiplicative, but so you know, M being minus six percent, V being plus eleven percent annualized. Okay. And your Q is real growth. That's 2.5%. Inflation, 2.5%. So that would be a pretty, pretty impressive trick. The problem is that there's a limit to how fast and how far M2 can decrease. Unless the government starts running a big surplus and the Fed keeps shrinking its balance sheet much, much more aggressively, it's not clear to me that you can keep seeing the amount of loans, you know, basically just go down, right? I mean, you, I, it, it would be astonishing to see that continue. Um, but on the other hand, velocity is very likely to return to its pre-pandemic level. And that's still another 15% higher than the current level. If velocity were to return to, the la to where it was the last time five-year interest rates were at 4%, which is where it is now, the velocity would have to rise about another 57% from here. So that 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 seems a little, a little crazy, a little ugly, a little unlikely. I'm not going to talk about it here. And it's unlikely to happen very quickly anyway. Uh, but the 15 to 20% increase in velocity over the next year or two seems pretty likely, and it's consistent with my velocity model. So going back to the MVPQ thing, if velocity over the next two years rises 15% and M2 drops another 5% over two years, then we're still looking at that 2.5% inflation. 15% minus 5% divided by 2, subtracting economic growth 2.5. Uh, 
trust me if you don't have a pencil and don't want to write it down. But if M2 just goes flat instead of declining, then we're looking at 5% inflation with that kind of velocity rebound. And any increase in M2 means, means worse levels of inflation. So it's, it's crucial that M2 keep declining slowly. And the Fed balance sheet is a small but important part of that. But, but how are you going to keep loan demand down? Because that's what's been happening so far. Part of that is the, the economy slowing. Part of it is higher interest rates causing money illusion to borrowers. Part of it is, uh, you know, the uh, mortgage origination uh, issue. Um, it, but it's really important that the Fed not not start dropping rates. Okay, so they've you know, today they the Fed tightened twenty five basis points and gave every signal that they're done. And if they're not done, it's plus or minus 25 basis points. It doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of difference. But you really don't want to see them decrease rates because that the increase of rates is what kept money supply, you know, kept that loan demand down. If you start dropping rates, then all of a sudden you're going to see loan demands you know, go up again. And then you've got recovering velocity and recovering money supply, and you get bad results. So the Fed really does need to keep rates on hold for quite some time. I actually think loan demand is going to come back normally as people get used to the new rates, and that means M2 is going to return. Um, but uh, but if the Fed cuts rates like the market seems to think it will, then the jig is going to be up. Um, again, I referred earlier to episode 50 about the comeback in, in money velocity, and, and one of the things I said was I related velocity to a spring holding potential energy. When the government dumped money into the system, uh, prices just couldn't react quickly enough. And so, and so velocity served the purpose of, of, of uh, holding that potential energy um, that it was then going to slowly release. And that's what's doing now. The spring is now compressing and releasing all that energy that it, it had stored up. So that potential energy will come back into the economy. But on the other hand, there's no natural offset to money growth. Money, once it's created, is much harder to destroy. You know, it's, it's, you're not, you, know you, you dump money into people's accounts. You're not going to go reach into it and grab it, I mean, we hope. But, um, but velocity is a throughput measure, so it tends to respond to the width of the pipe, with the pipe being interest rates. Higher interest rates make people reluctant to hold low-yielding deposits, and so money keeps moving. So, that's weird. That's another physical analogy. So, the spring concept was related to the sudden flush of money. The pipe pressure concept is more of a general equilibrium concept. Raise rates to make the pipe smaller, and then the pressure goes up and stuff goes through faster. Well, anyway, I don't like that image as much as the spring concept. But the point is that that um, velocity is is a throughput measure, and and money is a is sort of a level, and it and it tends to go mostly one way. As I said, you know, the money velocity's gone up, velocity's gone down, but uh, money's only ever gone one way until the last eight months. And we add it all up, and to me, there is still no good reason to expect in, expect inflation to drop right back to the Fed's target. I mean, it could happen. I always say could happen. I mean, I've seen stranger things, uh, but it's not the likeliest outcome. I still think median inflation will be in the high fours for this year and the low fours for 2024. That's a lot lower than it is now, but that's not where the Fed wants it to be. But I also don't think the Fed's going to 
you know, hike rates to 7% to squeeze it back down. I think if they have rates at five and a quarter and inflation is at, is at, uh, you know, four and a quarter, four and a half, I think they'll be plenty happy with that. So let's look at um, possible states of the world then from an investing standpoint, from an, in, from an investment outlook standpoint. The only one I can see that's good medium term for the stock market is one where inflation comes down spontaneously, but money growth doesn't stay negative. Um, because if money, if money is negative, it turns out that, that stocks tend to move with the quantity of money over time. If you actually look at the S&P divided by M2, it, it, over the last 50 years, it's been amazingly, I mean, it's jumped around up and down, but it's pretty much flat on net over that time period. Um, because it's an exchange rate. And so, you know, real assets to cash should be, you know, as you get more and more cash, then the value of that cash goes down, the price of the real asset goes up. And so that's kind of how that works. But, um, but anyway, so if, if we want to get the good outcome, medium term for the stock market, inflation comes down spontaneously, but money growth doesn't stay negative, that means velocity has to collapse again. And it's possible, but I view that as pretty unlikely because the reasons for the velocity plunge were idiosyncratic and tied to the to the rate that money was pumped into the bank accounts during the um, the economic shutdown. So, if inflation does not come down, okay. So, so if inflation does come down spontaneously, okay, that's potentially good, but it's it's hard to get that to happen without money growth continuing to to decline, and if money growth continues to decline, that's bad for stocks. If inflation doesn't come down at all, well, that's also bad for stocks, partly because it means higher interest rates. If inflation comes down because the money supply is contracting, as I, as I said, then that's bad because the level of the stock market tends to mirror the level of the money stock surprisingly well. So the only good outcome is inflation coming down, but money supply not coming down, and that means velocity has to do an about-face. And I don't see it. Therefore, caution should continue to be the watchword. But all in all, things could be a lot worse on the inflation front. You know, the M2 decline is a nice surprise. And it is a surprise to me. I did not think it was going to happen. But we're not out of the woods, I think. Um, I think there's going to be some more unfortunate surprises ahead in that regard. Rents are going to continue to sort of, you know, are going to moderate a little bit. Um and, uh, and so I think overall inflation is going to, you know, uh, come down, but it's not going to come down terribly fast. So more unfortunate surprises ahead. And that's all for this edition of the podcast, except for one thing. And that's the answer that I promised you to the trivia question. And the trivia question was on the television show, The Beverly Hillbillies, what was the first name of Mr. Drysdale, the president of the bank where the Clampets kept their money? Uh, Raymond Bailey played him, and his name was Milburn Drysdale. He was Miss Jane Hathaway's boss. I don't believe Milburn, New Jersey was named after him, but you never know. That's all for today's podcast. Please like, subscribe, refer others. Tell me if you thought the uh, trivia question was a distraction or if you liked it. You can contact me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. Subscribe for free to the blog at inflationguy.blog. If you want to subscribe to our quarterly or to my private Twitter account, go to inflationguy.blog shop and use the code P.
podcast at checkout and you'll get $20 off a subscription. Follow me on Twitter, on free Twitter at, at inflation underscore guy and uh, visit Enduring Investments. And like I say, like, subscribe, refer others, and most importantly, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.